right. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. It's so cold, their vocal cords do not work. We're going to try it again. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, it is good to say that to you for the first time this year. It's good to be in the house of God, worshiping with you on the first Sunday of the year. I can't believe 2022 is actually already here. Uh, I want to start by just welcoming in our family that's joining us right now over at the North Campus and all of our family joining us online, wherever you are watching or joining from. Come on, South Campus. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. I know many of you uh, aren't feeling well, so I want you to know that we are praying for you if you're unable to be with us because of sickness, believing that you are healed in the name of Jesus. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this morning I woke up and I knew it was going to be cold, but when it's 80 degrees one day and it's 25 when you wake up, something is wrong. I mean, this is, this is Texas weather and this week it's probably going to get back warm again. So uh, we don't know what we want to be here in Texas, what season it is, but I'm excited about what's coming. I'm excited about this year, and I'm excited about the season we're actually entering into in our church, and that is 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we've done this the last several years in January where we're giving the first of our year to God, and so I want to encourage you to be a part of it. It's something powerful when we do it corporately together as a body where we say, hey, we're going to set our attention on God. We're going to focus on some things together and watch him move and speak to us, and this will culminate on uh, January 21st, the, the fast and the prayer will actually end on the 22nd, but the 21st on Friday, we will have uh, something called a presbytery, where we'll come together for a time of worship, and then we have people coming in who move in the prophetic, and we're believing God to speak to us individually and as a, as a body. So you don't want to miss that. You're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks, but we do start today with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I always like to talk about this at the beginning of the year when we do this, because if you're new to us or if you're new to this, you're like, okay, tell me a little bit more about why we're doing this. Why 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, simply the 21 is only because people say it takes 21 days to create a habit, right? And what we're wanting to do is create some spiritual habits in our lives, because the reality is, is that our habits are shaping us. And what we're doing repeatedly is transforming our life in a positive or negative way, right? You, you know that, right? That what you do repeatedly will transform you for the good or the bad. And so what we want to do is create some spiritual habits to start off the year. And these are not habits like many people are setting for their new year. They're, they're, they set resolutions or they'll set habits in their life that they want to do something maybe to work out more or to eat differently or something like that. Those are of the natural man, which is not bad. But 21 days of prayer and fasting are habits of the spiritual man. And this is what Jesus, I believe, was talking about in John 17 when he prayed for us. He said, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them holy in the world. In other words, he was saying, I'm not praying that we, they would escape this earth, but that they would have the world come out of them, that they would get the world out of them, they would get the things that are not of me out of them. And this is what 21 days in prayer, of prayer and fasting are all about. It's all about turning down the volume of the world, distancing ourselves from the things of the world so that we can get more of God. I love the way that James says it in James chapter 4 when he was talking uh, to a church that was kind of on the border of where they were one foot with God, one foot away from God. In James 4, 7, he says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Come close to God, and God will come close to you. That's what we're doing. We're, we're humbling ourselves before God, and we're drawing close to him so that he will draw close to us. But I love that he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. What he's saying is, is when you come close to God, you're distancing yourself from the world. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse yourself. See, the antidote for the desire of the things of the world is to get closer to God. And the closer you get to him, the less you desire these natural things that we think can satisfy us. So prayer is all about getting close to God, and fasting is all about getting far from the world. It's distancing ourselves from things of the world. Now, if you're new to fasting, I I like to just set this up for people to kind of let you know what fasting is, because it can sound scary, it can sound daunting, and people are like, I don't know, I can't fast. And you can, first of all, everybody can fast. Fasting is simply just abstaining from something. Usually, people do it with food or drinks or something like that in order to get closer to the Lord. And so we have different types of fast. And in our 21-day booklet, which is available to you in our lobbies at our physical locations, uh, you can find out more about fasting. But I'm going to quickly just give you the four types of fasts that people typically do. Right? There's a complete fast. That's the one where people will fast like everything, all food, and they'll just do liquids like coffee and water. Uh, sometimes people will add in a juices or something like that, but that's a complete fast. Then there's a selective fast. This is where you would select to remove something from your diet of some sort, whether you choose to not eat meat or you choose to not eat sweets. Some people will do the Daniel fast. It comes from the book of Daniel, where Daniel said that we're not going to eat the king's meats and sweets and breads, but we're just going to eat fruits and vegetables. And so that's a, a Daniel fast. But Whatever it may be, you might choose to select something to say, I'm going to give that up in order to seek the Lord more. Then there's a partial fast. Uh, This is a very popular one. We may fast a meal or a couple meals or what's called the Jewish fast, which is a sun-up to sun-down fast, so you don't eat while the sun is up. And then there's a soul fast. And this is one I think we need to do periodically, even throughout the year. You need to detox your soul sometimes because it's picking up the things of the world around us constantly. And a a soul fast would mean like turning off the news, turning off movies and television or social media and getting off of TikTok or Instagram or uh, Meta or Facebook or whatever it's called now. But you're distancing yourself from some of these things that really have the potential to pollute our soul. And so I would recommend that you do those and do some of them or do all of them. So we have a guide to help you that we're doing together. And the first week uh, is movies and television. And inevitably, when we do a fast, some people are like, well, you know, do we, does, does the Bible talk a lot about fasting? It does, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but one passage I want to just read you, I love that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he says, and when you fast, and I love that because he's saying, it's not an if you fast, it's when. In other words, this is something that should be a part of our natural lives. We should do this regularly. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, don't let everybody else know what you're doing. Don't walk around real weak and pathetic and look like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm hungry. I'm just haven't eaten in a long time. Like, that's not what we're supposed to do. In fact, he tells you why. Because he says, I say to you, people that do that, they've received their reward. So if your only goal is to let everybody else know how spiritual you are, that will be your only reward. And it's not a reward at all, by the way. Just spoiler alert. 
But there's 17, he says, but when you fast, again, he's saying, I anticipate that you should do this. Anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, clean yourself up a little bit. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our fasting is not so that people think we're holy. Our fasting is so that we will get close to God and we'll, we'll hear his voice more, get direction for our life, and break through areas that we've not seen breakthrough in before. So this is, this is the reward. God wants to reward you if you will set aside time to seek him, distance yourself from things of the world. It's not just abstaining from something. This is important for you to understand. It's giving yourself to something. Because if you only view it as abstaining from something, it's all you're going to think about. If you think about, no, I'm not, I'm not not eating, I'm not not watching TV, I'm not not doing, no, I'm giving myself to God. I'm giving myself to prayer, I'm giving myself to study of the word, I'm giving myself to worship. That means that the time you would normally spend doing those other things is now filled with prayer and worship and the study of his word, and God will reward you. So as a part of that, we do have prayer Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. at our campuses, at both campuses, during this 21 days. So starting tomorrow, 6.30, I know it's early, but you're, you're, you're saying, hey, God, I'm giving you more. I'm going to give you the first of my year. I'm going to do more this year to set some habits in my life that will transform your life. And if you have kids, I would encourage you to bring your kids uh, we bring our kids every year. We're teaching them this habit, this pattern. Even if they're tired and fall asleep, like you're telling them, hey, this is important. And plus they have school, so they got to get up anyway. So go ahead and bring them. You'll get out in time to take them to school. All right. Now I want to talk to you about what I believe the Lord gave me as the word for the year for our church. If you remember last year, uh, the word I felt the Lord gave me was presence, and we talked all January about the presence of God and the power of the presence of God and the importance of pursuing the presence of God, and then in December, every message I included the presence of God in. We were after the presence of God, and I hope that you experienced his presence more last year than you have before. This year, as I was praying in November, I felt like the Lord gave me the word more, and I thought, that's an odd word. Like, what do you mean more? Like, what do you want for more? And then I he gave me the scripture, and this is the theme verse for our year. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is an incredibly powerful verse. Just right off the bat, he's saying that God can do more than we could ever measure, more than we could ever ask, more than we could even imagine. In other words, we don't even know how to ask because it's more than we can even imagine with our minds what he wants to do. But it's not according to our ability. It's according to his power that works in us and through us. But one of the things I'd never seen before, it's so that God will get the glory in his church and in Christ Jesus for generations. We serve a generational God who likes to work in generations that one generation will commend the next and tell the next of God's good works. And he does it in and through his church in this earth. And so I believe that God is wanting to do more in your life and in my life and in our church and in our community so that he gets the glory. So what does God want to do more in this year? And I want you to think about throughout this next 
series that we're in, what God wants to do more in. And so we're going to, today I want to look at a particular passage in the Bible, and there's many passages in Scripture and miracles where more is illustrated in a number of ways, but I want to go to one that is actually one of only two miracles that is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One is the resurrection of Jesus, but the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. And if you've been in church any amount of time, you have heard this story. Uh, if you grew up in kids' church, you have probably heard this story and studied it, but I want to look at a few different things in this passage. So turn to Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, we're going to put it on the screen. But I'm going to reference some things that are in other versions, so you will have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account to get the full story. They're all eyewitness accounts of this one story. Mark doesn't tell it all, but it tells a lot of it. So I want to look at Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 31, and then we'll pull some things out of it for us today. So then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, Nah, you feed them. And they're like, With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. I know that was a long passage, but I want to give you the context of this story. And at the end there, it says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. We often refer to this as the feeding of the 5,000, when in reality, it was a lot more than 5,000. Uh, they didn't count women and children in the count. You know, that's why it said 5,000 men and their families. So many scholars believe this was more like 15,000 or possibly up to 20,000 people that were fed in this incredible miracle. So I know that you've heard this before, but I want to give you some truths about more that we see in this passage that I believe are true in our life as well. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this, that more in the spiritual gives way to more in the natural. If you notice at the beginning of this passage, Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away from people, yet there were still tons of people coming toward them. And the Bible says that when Jesus stepped out of the boat, he saw their spiritual condition first. 
says that he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there was no one to lead them. There was no one to guide them. So he immediately began teaching them. If you read in other versions, Matthew, Mark, or, or Matthew, Luke, or John, some of them say that he began to do miracles as well. So here Jesus, seeing their spiritual state, begins to feed them spiritually. He begins to teach them. He begins to heal them. He begins to do miracles. He fed them spiritually, and I think he only really fed them physically so he could keep feeding them spiritually. He saw the state of their spirit first. And one of the powerful things you see in Jesus' life, if you read the Gospels, every miracle that he did almost started because he was moved with compassion for people. This is just another truth, is that compassion for people creates an atmosphere for the miraculous. When you're moved with compassion for people's spiritual state, God shows up and does more than you're expecting him to do because you're doing something in the spiritual first. You're seeing where they are in the spiritual. And I believe that he met their physical need as a sign to show them that he is the one that meets their spiritual needs. He does this in our life as well. He heals us physically because he wants us to understand that he is the healer of our souls, that he is the healer of our spirit, that he does more in the spiritual than he can do in the natural. He can do both, but he wants to meet our spiritual needs first. We see here or throughout Scripture and even in our own lives that he set people free from oppression and depression and demonic forces because he wanted them to know that he is freedom in the spirit. Not only can he give you freedom in the natural, but he is freedom in the spiritual. He provides and shows that he was our provision because he wants to be our source in the spirit. This is the principle we see here, that more in the spiritual gives way to more in the natural. And in our lives, for us, this year and this time of year, I mean, I'm wanting you to press in more in the spiritual at the beginning of this year. Before you see more in the natural, Give your 21 days to God and say, I'm going to press in. I'm going to seek you so that you'll open up my spiritual eyes to see what you want to do in the natural. Give this time to him and God will open the door in the natural for you later, but start in the spiritual. See, the disciples missed this. And if we're not careful, we miss it as well. Jesus was looking at their spirit and the disciples were just looking at everything they could see in the natural, right? They were like, we're tired. We're hungry. These people are hungry. Send them away. And they, they were only focused on what they did not have, not who they had. And I love what Jesus said to them. He said, well, how much bread do you have? Well, how did he know that there was bread? No one ever said to him, we got some bread. He said, how much bread do you have? If you read some of the other versions in John's version, it says that he asked a question already knowing what he was going to do. So he asked them about this, already knowing what was going to happen because he wanted them to participate in this with him. And he says, well, how much bread do you have? Go and find out, right? So in other words, he's saying don't focus on what you don't have, just focus on what you do have. And the second thing I want us to understand is that when we want to see more in our lives, we have to start with what you have before you see more. Start with what you already have. Jesus is like, well, what do you already have in your hands? What do you already have made available to you? Sometimes we're waiting for God to show up and give us more, and he's saying, I'm just waiting for you to start with what you already have. And if we wait until we think we have enough to do something great for God, we miss out on the miracle of the more in our life. If we wait until we think, oh, I've just got enough, we'll never do anything with it. In fact, I love the way Ecclesiastes 11.4 says it. It says that farmers who wait for perfect weather, they never plant. And if they watch every cloud, they'll never harvest. If you just wait until all the conditions are right, like everything is perfect, you'll never do it. 
And this is the principle. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm not going to sow this here. I'm not going to sow this there because i got to wait till I have enough to make a, a splash. And God's like, it's not, I don't need a splash. I just need you to start with what you have and trust me. I think sometimes we're waiting for God to do something great, and he's waiting for us to just start with what we already have in our hands. We don't have to know how it's going to happen. We just have to be willing to put it in his hands. And I love in John chapter 6, it says it this way, that Philip, it tells us who is the one that's asking some of these questions and talking. Philip says, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, how did he know how much it would take? Philip's over there calculating in his head. So we got this many people. How much money do I need to make this happen? He was like, we can't do anything because we don't have enough. He had been counting, right? Verse 8 says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, hey, there's a boy here with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? In other words, they're still counting. Well, we, we just got a little bit. We don't have enough. In fact, we don't even have anything. But this little boy over here, he's got a lunch. This is how we know that it was a boy that brought the five loaves and two fish. And this, and this little boy, why did I say he's little? He may have been older. But I think in the Jewish culture, if you're 13, you were a man. So you know he was under 13. So this boy simply showed up and offered what he had. I mean, he, he only had five barley loaves and two fish, and we know it wasn't enough. The disciples knew it wasn't enough, but they, that's all they had. So they were like, I guess we'll just tell Jesus what we found. And not only was it not enough in number, it was the cheapest loaf you could make. Barley loaf was the cheapest type of loaf you could make. So not only was it very little, it was like great value brand. <laughs> These weren't like the nice, like the real nice Sister Schubert's rolls and stuff, right? It, so, so this boy had to get over the fact that he didn't have a lot. Not only did he have a lot, he just had like the low end of what you could offer, like barley loaves. Nobody likes barley loaves. I mean, look, first of all, I like great value, so I just want to start right there. I'm not knocking great value. <laughs> you know I do, someone said. My wife always like, that's not name brand. I'm like, it is. It has a name. It's a brand. Name brand. Doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm way off topic. But God will use your great value. No, okay. Um, Here's the the point in this. Many times we don't offer to God something because we don't think it's enough. We don't think we're enough. We think it's too low quality. It's not good enough. It's not enough. And and even in the scripture, you can see that God's not asking you to have all that. He said, I just want you to speak up, Moses. I don't care if you're eloquent. I don't care if you have a great voice. I gave you your mouth. Just speak. You can see all throughout Scripture principles here that he uses those who weren't gifted enough, not talented enough. He uses those who probably weren't rich enough. We, this is what we do. I don't have enough, God. He's like, whatever you do have, just give it to me. It's not about how much you have. And many times we get busy like the disciples, counting what we have. And we forget Jesus doesn't count the way we count. He's not bound by the natural. And... If you will just trust him with it, he does the miraculous with it. And this is the third thing I want us to see is how far it goes is determined by whose hands it's in. Remember, they said, well, we only have five loaves and two fish. Well, how far will that go among so many? Well, in their hands, not very far. It would still be five loaves and two fish. See, in our hands, it doesn't ever go very far. 
The more we hold on to things and we think we can do something with it, it's never going to be as much as it could be until we put it into his hands. Our gifts, our resources, whatever it may be, in our hands, it has, it's limited. But in God's hands, it's unlimited. And I believe God is telling somebody today, quit counting and by faith, just put some things in my hands and let me do the math. Just trust me with it. And when they put it in Jesus' hands, one of the things I love, the Bible says that he looked to heaven and he blessed it. This is Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, yet still taking time to look to heaven, to acknowledge the Father, and bless it. And if there were fifteen to 20,000 people, he was showing them physically the posture that we ought to have before we see the miraculous. I'm going to look to heaven, and some versions, and John says that he gave thanks for it. So he gave thanks, and he blessed it. If Jesus is giving thanks and blessing what little it has, we ought to give thanks for what little we have, right? Gratitude for what you already have sets the tone for the miraculous in your life. You'll never get more if you're not thankful for what you already have. But here's the principle that Jesus blessed it. He gave thanks and he prayed over it. Sounds like a verse in Philippians 4 that says, don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's the recipe for the miraculous, prayer and thanksgiving in your heart. And the the truth here, I think, in our lives is that the only way to find out how far something will go is to surrender it to God. Your your time? Well, I don't have enough time. Well, put it in his hands and find out how much time you're going to have. I don't have enough money, Lord. Put it in his hands and see what he'll do with it. I don't have the right gift in God. Well, put it in his hands and watch how he multiplies what little you have. I was never going to speak in front of people. I'm not a gifted speaker. But the more I give it to God, the more it comes out, and I don't even know what's happening sometimes. You know, it's like, what just happened? I just keep trusting God with it. This is true of your relationships. This is true of your purpose. Every area of your life, if you'll put it in his hands and trust him with it, that's when the multiplication will happen. He can't bless it if you never put it in his hands, by the way. And it has to be blessed before he can multiply it. So how far it goes is determined by whose hands it's in. And one of the things I love about these passages is it doesn't say that as soon as he prayed over it, all of the sudden, piles of loaves and piles of fishes just started popping up everywhere, right? That's how we want to see miracles, isn't it? We just want, we want to put like $20 in the offering plate and the next week get a check for a million. Like, that's what we want. We want just a big old pile to show up, you know. But that's not how God always does things. He does it progressively sometimes. This is what was happening here. It says that as, as, they, as he kept handing it to them, they kept coming back for more, and then they kept distributing it. He kept giving it to them. Why is this important? The more doesn't happen in a moment sometimes. It happens progressively because he wants us to create a dependency upon him, that, that this bread comes from him. Remember, this is an interesting picture Because it was a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of what was happening in this moment when the children of Israel were in the desert. And God was providing manna or bread daily for them. And any bread that was left over from that day would go bad. So that the next day they had to go back and collect more. It was a picture of saying, I'm not just going to give you so much that you don't have any more need of me. When we, sometimes when we have a lot, we don't keep going to God. He is our daily bread so that we keep going back to him daily for more bread. See, the more was always meant to create a dependency on the giver, not the gift. 
if we got the great gift sometimes, we just go to that pile of more and we forget that it's Jesus that kept handing it to us. The disciples kept going to him. He would put it in their hands and they would go and deliver it. This is a powerful principle if we don't miss it, that he is our daily bread and he is more than enough. Our dependency needs to be on God, not the gifts that he gives us. Sometimes I've seen people that get so blessed and that blessing becomes a curse to them because they quit going back to the giver of the gift. And they try to live off of the bread that they were given the day before instead of going back to him daily and saying, God, I need you to be more than enough today in my life. You see, the more that you grow in your relationship with the Lord, I think the more you realize that it's not about how much he can do for you. It's how much he can do in you and how much he can do through you to give it out to other people. Early on, we're so grateful for the gifts God gives us, but the more you mature in the Lord, I believe the more you realize that it's about what he can do in me and through me, not what he can give to me. And our mindset mindset shifts to being a blessing to others. But Jesus did the miracle so that he gets the credit. But I love the fact that he wants to use the disciples to give it out. He wants to participate with us in the miracle. We get to be a part of it. You see, that's a big part of what the more is for. It is for others as well. And whatever you keep putting into God's hands, he'll keep multiplying so you can keep giving it out to others. And the fourth truth I believe that we can find in this passage is this. More comes on the other side of giving out of our need. Not only does we, when we put it in his hands, does he multiply it, and we can see how far it'll go, but more comes on the other side of giving out of our need. If you notice, right at the beginning, it told us right at the beginning of this passage that Jesus and his disciples were tired and hungry. That's why they were getting away to start. So the disciples, who were hungry, then came to Jesus and said, The people are hungry. I don't think it was the people who were hungry. I think it's the disciples who were hungry. They were hungry when it started. They were like, Jesus, listen, um, you've been talking a long time, and it's good, but those people are hungry. Send them to Chick-fil-A. Send them away somewhere. But I think it's the disciples who were hungry. It's the disciples who were tired, yet they were participating in a ministry moment here that we'd be talking about for centuries. They were hungry, yet God used them to feed other people. It doesn't say that they got to eat at the beginning either. But at the end, what did it say? It said that not only did everybody eat and was full, but there were 12 baskets left over. Coincidentally, there were 12 disciples. I don't know this to be true for sure, but could it be that because they gave out of their place of need, I'm hungry, God, but I'm going to keep giving it out. I'll keep coming to you. I'll keep giving it out. And then at the end, he's like, all right, here's more for you. You get to take some home. You're going to do even more. And I love the fact that when we put it in God's hands, we trust him with it. He multiplies it. And then he continues to give us more so that we can continue to give it out. But he makes sure we're taken care of. See, whatever you have need of today, God's saying, will you put it in my hands first? Will you trust me with it first? And if you'll put it in my hands, I will multiply it, make sure that you have more than enough, not only for you, but for everyone around you. In our 21-day booklet here, there's a story that I want to read to you. It's right at the beginning, and it was written by my sister-in-law, Tara, and it has this particular 
theme, and I just want to read it to you, and you can pick one up and read it later, but it's called The God of More, and it says, we've heard the story a dozen times, two fish and five loaves and thousands of people feasting on leftovers even. This is just one of Jesus's many miracles that you can read about in John 6. Think about what it must have been like that morning, hours before the great feast on the mountain. Imagine with me, if you will, a bustling house with plenty of noise, kids running through the kitchen, pestering their siblings, and a pet on the loose, perhaps. A faithful mother who would love just a few more minutes of sleep is shooing the kids out of the kitchen to finish their morning chores while she cleans up breakfast and packs lunches. What can I make today, she ponders, staring into the cupboard for inspiration. Fresh out of figs, so a jelly sandwich is out. The kids will be disappointed. But there's plenty of bread, though, and a fresh haul of fish, so fish and loaves it is. It's not their favorite, but they'll be well fed. She finishes packing the lunches just in time for Dad to head to work, and after their at-home studies, the kids will go with Dad to the market. The Passover feast is close at hand, you see. It would be a busy day for them all. Who knows what actually happened? Scripture doesn't clue us into the backstory. We just know that somehow a boy made it to that mountain with Jesus and a packed lunch. Hours earlier, the lunch was seemingly insignificant. But in the hands of Jesus, that lunch became sustenance for countless others, filling hungry bellies and hungrier souls with the truth that Christ has come. What it must have been like to be on that mountain that day. Imagine the scene when the disciples were scoffing at the lack of food in the boys' lunch, but Jesus said, have the people sit down. Exceedingly abundantly stuff was about to happen. More than we could ask or imagine was soon to be realized. Two fish and five loaves became a tool in the hands of God. A metaphorical megaphone to shout his sufficiency, better yet his abundance, across the mountainside. His character was being presented with each all-you-can-eat serving. In him, there was more than enough. Whatever proverbial packed lunch looks like today, whatever your proverbial packed lunch looks like, whether a decadent or humble offering to the world, God wants to use you to feed more hungry souls than you can imagine. Yes, you, the faithful father who works long hours to provide for his family, the mother crawling into bed at night after dishes and homework and the never-ending pile of laundry, the young man and woman who are navigating school and friends and hobbies and the what, would, what in the world will I do with my life questions. Singles, grandparents, widows and widowers who maybe feel too old, too unseen, too little, too late to offer anything meaningful to the world. Take heart. There is still time. There is still more. Neither your work, your talent, your heart, nor your worship have been in vain. Put it all in the hands of a God that can change everything. Hands that take whatever you bring and promise to make it more. Thinking back to that lunch on the mountain, we must remember that there was no glory for the boy who gave up his lunch. There was no mention of the parents who likely worked hard to provide the meal. The miracle, the more if you will, was for one reason, for Christ to be known. This is the God we serve, a God who will stop at nothing to use us, his children, so that he can be glorified drawing generation after generation to him. What's in your hands that you can offer God? What dream have you felt too small, too insignificant to share? What if your little could become exceedingly abundantly more and the very thing that allows Christ to be known to a broken world? That's what he's offering us today, more than we can ask or imagine. And will you say yes? People are hungry and people are seated and people are waiting. Will you give what little you have so Christ can feed a multitude?
He is enough and he's able to do more. My prayer for us in this season, in our church in this season, is that we would offer God whatever we have every day and say, God, I know that I'm not enough, but if I put it in your hands, you're gonna bless people around me. And the whole point, and I don't want you to miss this, the whole point is not just so we can have more. It's so that Christ can be glorified in his church and so that people will come to know him and see of his goodness and his faithfulness for generations to come. We get to play a small part in that if we'll let go of our tight grip on what we don't think is enough and we'll put it in his hands and say, God, I'm trusting you today. Amen. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, I just want to say, God, we thank you that you are the God of the exceedingly abundantly more, the the more than we can ever imagine or ask, God. We, can't, we don't even know how to ask, God, because it's more than we can imagine. But today, Lord, we say we trust you. And I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, just say, if this is your prayer, just say to God, Lord, I put, it, I, put it in your, I put my money in your hands. I put my time in your hands. I put my resources in your hands. Whatever it is you don't think you have enough of, whatever you think you're in need of today, just say, God, I'm putting it in your hands, and I trust you with it, knowing that you can do more than I can ever ask or imagine. And I do that today, Lord. I say, God, do more in our lives, do more in our church, do more in our community, do more in our country, do more in our world so that you will get the glory you deserve, that we may give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How I want to end this time together is I want us to stand together and I want us to sing to the God of more. I want us to express our praise to him so that he gets glory not only today but in our lives every day. Amen. Let's worship God.
Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.